0: Hello, and welcome to the Salem On The Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. You ever notice how many questions in life are difficult to answer? Or how many questions are so hard we actually have a hard time asking them? Well, if that's you, you're in good company. The prophet Habakkuk had a lot of hard questions to ask, and he wasn't always satisfied with the answers. In this new series, we're going to create some room to sit with those unanswered questions and confront the hard answers in life. Well, good morning once again, and uh, for those who maybe haven't been here in a few weeks, this is the, actually the final part of a series we've been doing, uh, a study really, on the book of Habakkuk. And if you're here in-house, uh, I made this easy for you. You've got some Bibles out in front of you. If you don't have yours... You can turn to page 714. That's where we're going this morning. Back is a tiny little book, so it's kind of hard to find sometimes. If you're at home, just pull out your phone and uh, Google it. Uh, You don't need to worry about a page number. You'll figure it out. Uh, But that's where we are, and it's uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and that's exactly how we've done this series uh, over the last few weeks. We just focused on a chapter each week, and we've worked our way through it. And I encourage you, even after today, go back, reread these chapters, kind of work through each of those, um, because... If you're not in the season that Habakkuk is in, as we're studying this, you will be. There's moments where you kind of go into that. And, and the season that Habakkuk is in is kind of like this. If you've ever entered a season of life where, you, where what you see around you doesn't match up with what you believe about the world, that's the season that Habakkuk was in. And when I say believe, i Talked to you guys about this before. I don't necessarily mean just somebody wrecked your theology, somebody wrecked your system of how you order things. I mean things like as simple as what you believe about yourself, the way you define yourself, the way you categorize yourself in the world. That may be your job and how you categorize yourself as a person who works in this field or that field. And if that shifts, what you believe and what you see have changed. And when this happens, there's this big word that I just I just wanted to use a big word, so I threw it out there. But it's incongruence, and we've talked about this every single week. This incongruence happens in your life between when this separation occurs between what is perceived and what is seen, or what is the uh, what is I'm sorry, what is perceived or seen, and what is ideal or what we believe. And there's this separation that occurs, and as human beings, we have this this tenacity about us to always pull these two things back together. Always, we pull them back together every single time in our lives and we got to figure out how we can make it work on the other side of the incongruence the challenge is this when we pull these two things back together we often don't land in the same spot that we were in things shift and so if we were here when our worlds shift we pull them back together and we might end up over here or over here and anytime we make this move something about who we are changes And this is exactly where Habakkuk was. He was embracing for the change. And the only question that really comes up on the other side of his book is, how am I going to change? In what way am I going to change? Not am I going to change, but how and in what way will I change? And the prophet was in this season in his life. And let me just kind of catch you up once again on this history behind him. He's in a season of life where he has taken on the role. Most prophets will speak for God. Habakkuk has chosen to take on the role where he is speaking for the people. Because what he sees God doing, he doesn't think is, it's that four-letter word that I said you can use in church, it's the four-letter F word, fair. He doesn't think that what God is doing is fair at all. And so he calls God on this. God, you're going to hurt us, harm us, you're going to punish us for our sin. I get it, we've been corrupt, but you're going to do it by sending in a a group of people who are much worse than us. And what does he say about that? That's not fair. That's not a fair thing to do. That's not a fair trade. That's not how you should work. Now, let me pause just a minute. How many of you ever said this to God? I mean, Be proud of it if you have. It's fine. How many of you have ever said, God, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's how you should operate. I don't think that's how you need to function in the world. God, that's just not fair. Right? We've all been in those situations where we just don't think it's fair. And, and maybe God answered your prayer or maybe he didn't. Maybe God moved on your behalf, or maybe he didn't when you offered that prayer. But if you offered that prayer, then you're in really good company because Habakkuk offered that exact same prayer. And you may have offered it at a time where you had prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, please come through, and God didn't do it. You said, God, that's not fair. Or you may have been praying, and you may have been seeking God, and you start seeing something happen to a really good person, and this other terrible person just goes free and nothing happens to them, and you're like, God, that's not fair. That's not fair. It doesn't make sense with the world and what I believe about the world. It's just not fair. And so this is where we are today. And, and here's the beauty of this space that we're in right now. Circumstances, they don't always change this place. They don't always change it up, right? This, the type of faith that Habakkuk is walking into, the type of faith that I'm going to encourage you to step into, if you will step into this sort of chapter 3 faith that we're going to get into in just a minute, it doesn't mean that your circumstances will actually change. That's not what, what's going on. That doesn't happen for Habakkuk. Everything still proceeds exactly how it is. The type of chapter three faith that we're gonna talk about, though, is something that each and every one of us in this room really admire. We admire it when we see it. We see it in other people, and we long for it, and we crave for it. And what we don't understand is that when people have lived into that type of faith, it doesn't always mean that their circumstances changed. And even though we long for it, That's something that we have to get ready to embrace. And of course, that's exactly where Habakkuk is by the time we get here to the end. In chapter one, Habakkuk has sort of outlined the complaint. He's complained to God. And I describe this as that wondering phase. And we all have to go through these phases. So just bear with me. You might be in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, but we all have to go through them. We start with this wondering, this questioning, this complaining, this disconcerted reality around us. And that's where we start. God, why would you do this? In chapter one. And then by the time we get to chapter two, and some of you may be in this state right now, we start waiting. I don't have my answer yet. I'm not exactly happy with where I'm at, but I've made my complaint and I'm sitting down and I'm waiting. And of course, that's exactly where Habakkuk is. He stops, he listens, he reflects, and he just waits in chapter two. But by the time we get to chapter three, something different happens. We start to see worship coming out. We see worship in a brand new way. And of course, you know, all of these chapters are outlined this way. The very beginning of chapter 1, complaint. It says it. Complaint. You can look in 713, 712, wherever it is in your Bible if you're here. But it says complaint. Chapter 2, it's God's response. In the midst of waiting, it's God's response. But chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 1. I just want, to, I want you to read this. I don't want you to skip over this. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, that this is a what? A prayer. entire third chapter has now shifted away from complaint and waiting for God to respond. It's now a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigianoth. Now, Shigianoth is not a person with a really weird name and you feel bad for this child growing up because their parents did this to them. That's not what this is at all. Shigianoth is actually, it's only used one other time, In the Old Testament, it's used in Psalm chapter 7, but it actually is sort of a a musical indication of what type of song this is. So it's really not just a prayer, it's a song that is sung in the context of worship. And of course, if you flip all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 19, you see it's been prepared by this person for worship. So the song prayer that's being offered here is a Shigianoth. And a Shigianoth is simply this. It's one of extreme passion. In fact, if you go back and look at Psalm 7, you'll notice this. It's extremely strong emotion to the point of being so emotional that some of us would look onto that person singing this song and be like, they're erratic. They have lost their mind. Like This is crazy. They've gone way beyond where they should in this way. But what happens in the context of chapter 3 right here is this erratic, strong emotion that comes out of Habakkuk on the other side of this calamity, on the other side of this. And this is the setting of worship that will proceed from here. And here's where it goes. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he tells us exactly what it is. In chapter 2, he begins. The setting of worship looks like this. He says, Oh, Lord, I have heard of your renown. I heard about it. I've listened to it in the past. People have told me about how, how popular you are, how powerful you are. And so I stand now in awe of who you are because I've heard these stories of the past. Oh, Lord, of your work. And so what I'm asking now, God, is that in our time our own time right now, that you would revive it, that you would restore it, that you would renew it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you have mercy. May you remember mercy among us. In all of these spaces, God, I have heard what's happened in the past, but what I need from you right now is for you to move again like you did in the past. I need you to act on my behalf right now in the way that you have in the past, and in particular, what I need is your mercy, now, you might be there as well. You might be in that very same spot where you can stand here or sit here or whatever you're doing at home, laying down, chilling out, reclining. You can remember where God has moved in the past. You can remember and see that. You can see seasons in your past where God seemed more real than others. And then one day you wake up and you're like, God, I know you can, but you're not. I know you can because I remember it and I've seen all that. And I'm needing you to do it now because you're not doing it right now. And like Habakkuk, we would say, God, renew what you used to do in our day today. Revive it, renew it, redo it, bring it back to life because it seems right now that it's dead. God, we do remember. There's no doubt about it. We've seen it with our own eyes. And if we haven't seen it with our own eyes, we've read about it. We've seen stories about it. We came through Sunday school hearing about how you moved on behalf of others. And we want to see your movement with us once again like it was. And in order to move forward, and let me just pause right here. This is is perhaps one of the most important things that I'll kind of plan out here today. In order to move forward in your life, you always have to start with memory. You always have to start with remembering. You have to remember what God did do. You have to remember where God did move. You have to start in that space. When circumstances aren't changing, they aren't improving, what I want to encourage you to do first is remember what's been done. Remember when you saw it. And if it wasn't for you personally, maybe it was for a family member. And if it wasn't for a family member, then maybe it was something bigger than that. Maybe it was a way in which God moved. In fact, that's what Habakkuk models for us here in the rest of this, this chapter. Out of all 19 verses that are in chapter 3, verses verses 5, uh, or rather 3, all the way through to the end of 15, are about memory. And he tells us about the memory of what God did in the past. Not what God did for him not what God did for his mom and dad or did for his grandparents, none of that. He tells us about what God did in the past. He unpacks that. Another way of me thinking about this as as I look back at what Habakkuk is doing is for Habakkuk and for you and me, memory is the fuel that powers tomorrow's dreams. It's the fuel that will help us dream a new dream in in tomorrow. And it's kind of interesting that I use fuel, as I was thinking about this, I just sort of wrote that phrase out, and then I paused a minute, and I was like, you know, it's interesting, when we think about fuel, the number one fuel that we, and I'm sure you're thinking a lot about fuel right now as you go to the gas pump, but as you go to the gas pump, even later today, they call this a fossil fuel, right? Why is it a fossil fuel? What is it a, why would you describe it as a fossil fuel? Well, it's a fossil fuel because it's created off the catastrophe of the past. It's created from carbon that has been broken down in our soil, the death of animals, plants, and life throughout the centuries. And what fuels us today is their life of yesterday. What carries us forward today in a very real pragmatic way is their life from yesterday. And in the same way, in our life, we have these memories that get planted in our heads. They They stay firm in our minds, and those memories are the very thing that will propel us forward into our tomorrows. They'll help us carry forward. They'll help us go forward. You know, maybe you've had this sort of access in your life. Some of you, as I said, have got the very real tangible memories of what God has done for you. Maybe it was a moment where he saved your life. Is a moment where he healed you from a sickness. Maybe it was something that happened for you personally, and you would testify about that, and you would tell the world all about it. Maybe it's something else that happened in your family's life and you're like, you remember when this happened for mom and dad, like they tell this story all the time. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's something that happened in the context of this church or another church that you've been a part of in the past. There are all these memories that sort of fuel us and carry us forward and the stories of scripture become the exact same thing. The stories of scripture become that fuel for us. In fact, Habakkuk, that's what he uh, grinds away at over and over again. I'll read just a few of them. I don't have time to read all of these verses, but in verse three, he starts. He says, God came from Taman, the Holy One, came down from Mount Paran. Then he says, Salah, which is just, pause just a minute right there. Just let that sink in. God is the one who came through all this. God, the God Almighty came down into our space. Pause. Just let that settle in for a minute. Just let that sink in for just a moment. Then he moves on. He says, his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. The brightness of his presence was like the sun. Rays came forth from his hand, where his power lay hidden, and before him went pestilence and plague, followed close behind. Of course, he's getting at this point into the story of the Exodus. He's reminding us of what God did in that space, and and for the next verses, for verse six all the way through verse six. 15 he's going to talk about these stories he's going to push us to remember these stories and when Habakkuk had not experienced struggle like he is experiencing in all of his life he looked way back and he found power in the memory and for some of you who are here when the future hard to see when it's hard to figure out exactly what the future will be what we have to do is what Habakkuk did pause to remember what God has done in the past Pause to see the way that God has already moved. And this is a vital part of the process of chapter 3. It can actually be the longest part of your process, is trying to figure out what God has done in the past in the same way that it was for for Habakkuk. So what do you need to remember in those spaces? What is it that you need to do when you go back and remember those? Well, you need to remember how you've seen God active in your past. You need to see where God was active in those around you in your past. And when you start to look for where God was active, you'll start to see the hints and the motion of how God can be active again. And this brings us to perhaps the most painful part of this process. And I'm going to try and say this as gently and pastorally as I can, but it is a hard part. It's a difficult step. Once we start that memory process, what memory naturally does is revealed to us where we actually are. And sometimes we just skip over that. Sometimes we just move right past where we actually are, and we just think about what has happened in the past. We jump all the way out here and try to think about where God will have us in the future, but we don't sit long enough to just settle in in the moment here. What I'm gonna encourage us to do, and what we see Habakkuk doing in the third and final chapter of this book is not only remembering what happened, soaking in memory, but he also stops And accepts reality. And that's challenging. It's challenging for all of us to pause and accept what's actually happening. But if your faith is falling apart, I need you to own that. I need you to accept that. I need you to sit with that and let that become a real part. If your marriage feels like it's crumbling, it feels like everything is going away, I want you to own that for what it is in this moment. I just want you to hold on to it. I want you to say that's exactly where I am. If there's a sickness in your life that you've been praying God deliver you from and it's just not happened, and you're frustrated about that, I need you to own that. I need you to live in that moment for just a minute. If you're you're struggling every single day and you just don't know what the next day will be and you don't want the next day to be, perhaps, I want you to name that. and I want you to live into that for just a minute. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to just roll over and take it. It doesn't mean that you just play dead and say, well, what is, what is, Say, la vie, you know, that's not what this is. It just means that you start to accept right now what's happening. Even though you're hoping and dreaming and acting as if something will take place in in the future, right now you just accept exactly where you are. And of course, this is exactly what Habakkuk does. And when he does, it causes physical changes in his body. And that's why I know this is a difficult step because in verse 16, he says, I hear you, God. Remember, God gave this word that he doesn't like at all. God gave this promise that he doesn't like at all. And in 16, he pauses and everything becomes visceral. Everything comes about his body and what's happening in his body. He says, I hear you. And I tremble within. I can hear my heart pounding at this moment because I know what this means. I know that you've declared judgment upon this nation. I know that you're sending the Babylonians, and I feel that, right? He says, I got that, that, next, that last line. He says, my lips quiver at the sound, right? He's all that, that, you know, that lip quivering thing. My sister-in-law had that perfect quiver when she was growing up, and you made her mad. You know, just quiver the lips. Everything about our body, as he starts to accept this reality, he starts to feel it in his body, and he says, rottenness has entered my bones, my steps, I start to tremble, and then I just wait. And I'm not waiting for a good reality. I'm waiting for the calamity that is to come. I'm waiting quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. He felt it. And there's something that happens inside us as human beings when we move out of that stage of just remembering what happens And we stand raw, bare, and unchecked in the middle of our reality right now. There's something that happens in us as human beings when we learn to accept this reality. And as we stand in acceptance, what we're actually doing is aiming for a future of difference. But if you don't learn how to stand in acceptance, what are you aiming for? If all you think about is just the memories of what were and the future, of what to come, and you don't have any grounding point right here in reality, what are you aiming for? Where are you trying to go with this? And that's what Habakkuk wants us to know. Habakkuk wants us to know that if, if you want a future that's different, if you want to come out in worship of God, then it means you stand right where you are and you declare where you are so that God can find you where you are, so that God can meet you in that space. And you can remember all day long But if you're remembering and not knowing where you are, then he can't meet you where you are. And your longing for change won't come. But if we can learn as we go through this process how to remember what has happened, how to accept what is right in front of us, then we can go to that third and final stage of worship. That most important stage of worship that sometimes we don't hit because we haven't accomplished the other two realities in our lives. We haven't hit acceptance. We haven't hit memory in a proper way. And so it's hard for us to lean into this third and final reality, which is trust. We have to remember what's been done. We have to accept what's happening. And finally, most importantly, you have to trust in what is yet to come. And that's what rises out of the final three verses. In fact, I'm going to read these to you again, and you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But these three verses are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And when I read it, you're going to be like, you're sick. (laughs) You're twisted. But they are. They speak more, more loudly of trust than anywhere else in all of Scripture. Habakkuk has said what he needed to say. He remembers everything that's happened. He's gone through it all. worked through that process his body starts to quake and quiver and he feels it in his bones as to what might happen. And here's how he closes the whole thing out. You would expect him to say, I will stand back and wait and trust for the day where the fig tree blossoms. It gives off fruit. It's beautiful. There's oil running down from the olive trees. That's not what he says, does he? At the very end of his complaint to God, These are his final words of trust. Though the fig tree does not blossom. Even though there is no fruit on the vine for me to find. Though the produce of olive seems to fail the country. The fields yield no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls. Yet. That's the most important word in this entire three-verse series. Though all of this happens, though everything around me seems to crumble, though it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will exult and praise in the name of the God of my salvation. Though I got no reason in all the world, he says, I've got nothing in front of me. There is absolutely no reason for me to trust Him. There's absolutely no reason physically in front of me to do this. There's no transformation that I'm seeing right now, yet I will trust Him. I will rejoice in the Lord, my God. I will exult in the God, my Savior. That's where I choose to stand. Whenever He has no reason, not, He has no reason, none whatsoever. Not physically, not mentally, none of that. Visibly, He has no reason in front of Him to rejoice, and yet He says, even though the entire world around me rages, I will rejoice. Even though the entire world around me falls apart and World War III looks like it's going to break out, yet I will rejoice. Even though my gas prices have skyrocketed and I'm frustrated all the heck about that, yet I will rejoice. In your life, maybe, maybe it's a little bit deeper, Even though, even though my spouse has said, till death do us part just doesn't seem like that's happening yet i will rejoice even though i raise my kids to know better they just don't know better yet i will rejoice in the lord my god even though we prayed and prayed for healing and it didn't happen yet i will rejoice in the lord my god that's where i'll stand finances could be tough, costs could be high, gas could cost you $400 to fill your tank. Yes, I will trust in the Lord my God. Even though I know he could do it and it doesn't seem like he is, yet I will trust in the Lord my God. That's where Habakkuk ends. That's where he chooses to land this entire ship. And hear me clearly, as your pastor, I want every single one of you to experience a chapter three type faith in your life. I want you to. I want you to be able to sit in a space like Habakkuk and have that, but here's the deal. The chapter three type faith that you could have doesn't come on the other side, come without chapter one and chapter two. right, there's, there's the wondering there's the frustration, there's the downright anger, there's the resentment, there's the accusations, there's all of those things that come out towards God. And that always leads us into these seasons of waiting and pausing and reflecting and listening. And then we can start to move into chapter three. But it's always in that order. It's always moves in that pattern in our life and it's always the opportunity before us to move there. And it's in the lowest times of life that we know we're in prime position To move into that chapter 3 level of faith. And some of you are sitting here this morning. And you know that's true. Because you've walked enough yesterdays to know it's true. You've walked enough to know. That it's in those low moments in life. That God can start to do something in your life. For me that's, that's what I hold on to in my life. I know that I've seen enough complicated yesterdays. To believe that my future tomorrows will be okay. That I can step into them. I've had enough of those yesterdays that tomorrows can take care of themselves. That tomorrows will hold on to themselves. It's all the yesterdays in our lives that sort of get piled up and pushed into one pile and enable us to trust God with all of our tomorrows. Another way of thinking of it is simply this. Yesterday's victories are the very things in your lives that will create tomorrow's promises. If you're looking for tomorrow's promise, if you're looking for tomorrow's hope, if you're looking for something to be accomplished in your life, it all starts with what happened yesterday and how God carried you through yesterday. And of course, Habakkuk finishes out with one final poetic, not not grounded in reality necessarily, but just a poetic, beautiful verse after he has placed all of his trust, after he's looked at all the yesterdays, after he's stood in the acceptance of what is happening right now, he says this. In the midst of his deepest valley, he says, God, the Lord, he is my strength. And he is the one. Remember, he's not standing on this yet. He's going to proclaim it. He's going to say it. He's the one who makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me tread upon the what? The heights. The God who's with you in the valley is the one who at the very end, the last word spoken in this book, though not realized in this book, is the one who pulls you to the heights of life. The one who pulls you out of the valley, who walks with you out of that valley, and stands with you on the mountain. And Habakkuk's lesson is that this is the God who is with us in all of these spaces. It doesn't matter what it looks like in life, if it's deep or if it's high, if it if it's, feels like you are just drowning in the sea around you. This is where we find God, in the deepest part of our lives and the highest part of our lives. So even when you're in the valley and life seems to rip you apart and nothing makes sense at all, I want to encourage you to continue to embrace God. And I want to encourage you to continue to discern exactly where you are in this process. As we close today, this is actually how we're going to close our time out together in prayer. I don't want anybody to know the juicy details of your life or anything that's going on, but I want us to get to a point at least where we can acknowledge I'm one, I'm two, or I'm three. That's it. And it's okay to be in any of those spaces it's okay to be in a season where you're wondering and you're frustrated and you're mad and you just want to complain a while, it's okay Habakkuk did that, he did that first before anything else, that's that one it's okay to have let that out and just to be sitting and waiting and saying God I just need you to speak back I'm just going to wait, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pause I'm going to reflect and I'm going to wait and it's okay to also be in that space where you're like I'm ready I'm going to look at the memories I'm going to accept where I am, and I'm going to start trusting. It's okay, too. All of those are okay, but what I want us to do, Praise Team's going to sing one final song. As they do, I want you to do one of two things. You can either stand right where you are and just hold that hand up, and I imagine a lot of us will probably be in this space where we're just going to have hands flying and all these types of things, and if you feel led to pray for your brother and sister in Christ who's here, For that, that you don't need to know any details. You just need to know they're one, two, or three. I want you to move to where they are and just pray with them. Just take a moment to pray with them. And if you're not comfortable with that and that's not what you want and you'd rather come forward and have prayer with me, I would love to pray with you. And all I'm gonna ask you, you don't have to hold your hand up, you don't have to let everybody know where you are. I just want you to tell me one, two, or three. And that just helps me pray. It just helps me know how to focus my prayer. So in just a moment, when they start singing this song and they, we close out here, I'm going to stand right down here. And if you want to stand where you are and just hold your hands high. with the, this, this is one. Do this. Don't do two hands. Then you start getting confused with two or three or four or 5 Just do one. You can pray with each other. You can pray by yourself. Or you can move. Would you stand with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this moment. we do this moment right here with all the complexities that it brings to our lives both globally and locally questions that we have about when it will all end when will the suffering and pain be over when will the frustration violence, aggression come to an end. We thank you for being here with us in this space. And God, as we turn our hearts to prayer this morning, prayer for one another, prayer for those who are tuning in online, we ask God that you would meet us in this space. Meet us in that chapter one. Meet us in that chapter two. Meet us in that chapter three, wherever it is. And God, start to heal us in that space. To change us and give us hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you're ready, feel free to move. As you're ready to hold your hand up, feel free to do that. Let us, let this place be a place of prayer this day.